0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true
1: light. This episode is going to be extremely important, probably one of the most important podcasts I've ever done. I know a lot of what I say is going to sound really strange to some of you, but just sit back put your seatbelt on, I promise you the conclusion is going to be very good and very biblical and sound in doctrine. Back in 1970, before I became a follower of Jesus, thank God for the day when I was converted, as a yoga teacher, I echoed the sentiments of my peers, often referring to an inward spark of divine nature that we all claimed all human beings possessed. My former guru, Yogi Bhajan, called this supposed inward divine essence the kundalini, explaining that it was the dormant power of infinity. He described it as a coiled energy at the base of the spine that must be aroused probably because of its supposed shape, a coiled form, many swamis, gurus, yoga practitioners, and new agers strangely refer to this dormant energy as the quote-unquote serpent power. In retrospect, now I look back and shake my head in amazement that I ever believed such a thing. Now I understand clearly and biblically that a serpent is not a symbol of a divine essence. It is a symbol of evil. In the book of Genesis especially, the serpent is a representation of the epitome of evil, Satan himself, who came in the form of a previously upright serpentine creature before he was cursed, the one who enticed Eve into eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, incidentally, was not an apple. If it was, why are we supposed to eat an apple a day for optimum health? We should ban them altogether. But that's an aside to what I'm really saying. Eve then drew Adam into the same act of rebellion, And thus, our foreparents and all who would ever come forth from them were trapped in the corruption of the lower nature and subjected to the inevitable curse of death, that ever present stalker of the whole human race. Remember, a venomous snake is a killer. I need to say that again a venomous snake is a killer. Its poison can take out a human being in just a few minutes. So how, let me say that word again, how could a serpent ever represent anything good? You may be surprised to learn that most New Agers feel the serpent is a symbol of esoteric wisdom the secret knowledge that only adepts understand, that we are all truly divine in nature, and that divinity must be discovered and awakened, and it becomes a blissful experience when we realize our own godhood. Isn't that what the serpent tempted Eve to believe, that she could be as God? knowing good and evil. But in new age spirituality, that's not bad. It's good. The serpent was actually filling a good role, revealing a hidden mystery that had been previously withheld from Adam and Eve, that they needed to recognize, that we all need to recognize, that we need to comprehend our own divinity and understand and come into the consciousness that we are God. Well, that's the absolute antithesis of the truth. The opposite, totally the opposite of the truth. Do you see how twisted it gets? It's wicked. Maybe that's where you get the word wicked because it's related to the word wick that is made of twisted threads or wicker furniture which is made of twisted strands of dried vines. So wickedness, even wicked beliefs, are ideas that are twisted opposite to the truth as it really is. Most believers of this Hindu concept of the Kundalini also claim this coiled energy is a manifestation of the goddess Shakti. Theoretically, when this awakening of the kundalini takes place, and now I know this is going to be very foreign to some of you, but listen, it travels up, supposedly this is not actual, but supposedly it travels up through the spinal column through five chakras, which are spiritual energy centers, and then it goes through the sixth chakra, which is also called the third eye finally reaching the seventh chakra at the top of the head, which is called the crown chakra. Now, chakras do not exist, but I believed back in 1970 that they did. And I believed also what I was told that when this kundalini serpent power rises up through the spine, through the chakras and reaches the crown chakra, at that point, Within a person's inner being, the goddess Shakti comes into union with the god Shiva. And this is the experience that's supposed to bring enlightenment or god consciousness. Did you get that? When the serpent power rises in an individual, a false deity, a false goddess named Shakti that doesn't even exist and a false god named Shiva that doesn't even exist, merge so there's sexual overtones to this, triggering the awakening of God consciousness in the meditator or the yoga practitioner. There's two very important things you need to know about all of this. First, Shiva is one of three primary deities in the Hindu pantheon called the Hindu triad. Now, in Hinduism, there's traditionally 330 million gods and goddesses, but there's three primary gods. Brahma, who is the creator god, Vishnu, who is the preserver god, and Shiva, who is the god of destruction, who incidentally is also called the lord of yoga. His female consort is Shakti. And though he is the god of death and destruction, he's looked upon favorably because he causes the release of the soul on its journey of reincarnation. But as Christians, we know who the destroyer is. We know who the god of death or the god of darkness is. It's the devil, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, who once had the power of death until Jesus destroyed him and destroyed that power through the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Son of God. So the real identity of Shiva is Satan himself. Dwell on that just a moment. Second, God consciousness for a Hindu or a new ager, means a conscious awareness that you are God, which is the absolutely most wicked and evil thing any human being could ever believe. So completely idolatrous because it is self-idolatry. The Bible says, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And in the new age, people who embrace this worldview make themselves into gods. It is the height of idolatry and certainly a condemnable belief. Rabbi Maharaj was a guru before his salvation. He wrote a fantastic book called The Death of a Guru. I've given it to people that were embedded in Eastern religions and needed to have a testimony they could relate to. In his book, he explains this, and I quote, When aroused without proper control, it, and he's referring to the Kundalini, it rages like a vicious serpent inside a person with a force that is impossible to resist. It is said the kundalini will produce supernatural psychic powers having their source in demonic beings and will lead ultimately to moral, spiritual, and physical destruction. Nevertheless, it is this kundalini power that meditation and yoga are designed to arouse. Do you see why I am so adamant That Christians, believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ should never practice yoga. Not even the physical aspect of it, the asanas, the physical exercises, because you're coming too close to the boundaries of something that is very, very dangerous. Now, let me tell you the story of another Indian guru. Until he died in 1982, Swami Muktananda was famous throughout the world for his ability to perform something called Shaktipat on seekers that followed him. And Shaktipat is an impartation from a guru of an awakening of the kundalini. And I record Muktananda's description of his own kundalini awakening in my book, In Search of the True Light. And you need to get that book because... New age spirituality and doctrines that are from Hinduism are becoming more and more accepted. And you need to be able to respond to those beliefs in an intelligent way and convince others of the biblical point of view. Anyway, I record Muktananda's description of his own Kundalini awakening in my book, In Search of the True Light. He encountered, now listen to this, This is his own description. He encountered a naked ascetic who was blissfully meditating on top of a pile of human excreta. Now, I don't know what his motive was, maybe to overcome his repulsion in order to reach higher consciousness. Who knows? But anyway, let me go back to the quote. He met this naked ascetic blissfully meditating on top of a pile of human excreta. And this supposed Hindu holy man invited him to come and sit on his lap and lick his head. The ascetic then proceeded to initiate Muktananda into kundalini yoga. Later that day, he explained, and again, this is Muktananda's own description. I quote, he said, my mind seemed to be deluded. I felt I would soon become insane. My entire body started aching. The tongue began to move down the throat and all attempts to pull it out failed. My fear grew. I felt severe pain in the knot below the navel. I tried to shout, but I could not even articulate. Next, I saw ugly and dreadful demon-like figures I thought them to be evil spirits. Suddenly, I saw a large ball of light approaching me from the front. It merged into my head. I was terrified by that powerful, dazzling light. Does that sound like an encounter with God to you? Or does it sound like a bizarre encounter with a demonic being, the latter, is what you should have answered. I had an experience very similar to that. Not quite so weird and strange, but similar. Right after I was born again, thank God for the day, when Kent Sullivan picked me up in the day when I had prayed that if Jesus was the only way to heaven, he would give me a sign and Kent picked me up and I got in the van and saw a picture of Jesus on the ceiling of his van. He was a newly born again Christian who had come out of Eastern religions and yoga. He led me to the Lord and the yoke of Eastern religions was broken in my life immediately. However, Jesus warned, When the unclean spirit leaves a man, he comes back with seven times worse devils to try and re-inhabit the vessel that he was cast out of. And that happened to me. Thankfully, I knew how to respond. It was about three weeks after I'd been saved. I was laying in bed late one night reading the Bible. I loved it. To fall asleep reading the Bible. In fact, many times I would wake up in the morning with the Bible laying on my chest. Anyway, I woke up, and much to my surprise, I saw this cloudy thing about the size of a large grapefruit or a a small cantaloupe and it was throbbing, it was pulsating, it was cloudy in substance, it didn't really have a form, but I saw it come through the wall of the room where I was sleeping. And in a split second, it moved across the room with lightning speed and slammed into my forehead. And it began to try and suck my spirit out of my body. Immediately, I recognized That was the demon I had yielded to when I did meditation for long periods of time and had experiences with astral projection where my spirit would leave my body. This time though, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It was a horrifying experience. And I knew intuitively that if that demon got me out of my body, I would never get back in again. And there are numerous people in asylums in India who have been trapped inside of a meditative state because of this same kind of demonic possession. So anyway, I remembered, thank God, thank God, a saint in the Lord told me after I found Jesus that I had encountered God, but I may have encounters with demonic beings who would come back to make a second play for my soul. And that saintly lady told me that if I ever had such an encounter, to claim the blood of Jesus, to claim the precious blood that was shed on the cross for us. Well, I stored that away in my mind, not knowing how soon I would need that information or that revelation. Anyway, I was paralyzed, I couldn't move, I couldn't talk. But in my mind, I thought these words, and listen, if you're a faith person, thoughts full of faith have power. You don't even have to speak them, just have thoughts that are full of faith. And in my mind, I thought the blood of Jesus be upon me. And as soon as I thought that, that demon pulled back from my forehead and was throbbing in front of me angrily, And then I could open my mouth and actually speak. And I rebuked it and I said, I claim the blood of Jesus on you, depart from me. And it fled from the room and never visited me again. Thank God the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. And I realized then, only a few weeks old in the Lord, the horribly satanic origin of what I had been involved in. And it caused me to recoil in horror from what had so contaminated my soul. And it also gave me authority not only to rebuke that spirit from myself, but from other people. Having encountered that demon and overcome it myself, I can pray for others who are in the same dilemma and succeed in bringing deliverance to them by the power of the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood of the Lamb. In fact, I get phone calls from all over the world, people who are desperate to be delivered because they went to a yoga class and started having spontaneous kundalini awakenings that they could not control. And I I really should tell you the story of a friend of mine that really illustrates what that's like. On my comparative religion website, Truelight.net, I urge you to visit that website. You can find both the written and the video testimony of Michael Graham. Michael is a born-again believer now. He does a lot of mission work over in India and Thailand and that area, that region where many Westerners go to try and find quote-unquote enlightenment, and he reaches many of them. Anyway, when he was involved in in yoga, he experienced this supposed awakening of the kundalini. He was in India studying under Swami Muktananda for over 20 years. Much of that time, he was right there in Muktananda's ashram. One day, he was meditating, and his eyes were closed, and he felt a hand touched his cheeks and his forehead and he looked up and it was Muktananda. And it was the impartation of the awakening of the Kundalini, Shaktipat. Shortly after that, he started having manifestations that were intense, weird, and strangely similar to some of the extreme manifestations that I have seen and that you have seen in the charismatic movement and I'll get to that in a little while because I'm very concerned about it. After he received this impartation from his quote-unquote guru, it began with these bizarre uncontrollable bodily movements. His body started swinging around even though he was in a seated lotus position He started moving faster and faster, and it got more and more uncontrollable, and then he got hit with uncontrollable emotions, where he started laughing hysterically when there was nothing to laugh about, or sobbing deeply when there was nothing to cry about. You can read his complete testimony by going to my website. Again, that's thetruelight.net, thetruelight.net and the link to his story will be in the notes attached to this podcast. He thankfully realized once he became a Christian that all of that was a false experience. All of that was a counterfeit experience. Satan can only counterfeit the real experience of God. There are real supernatural experiences with God, but Satan has his strange counterfeit of the real. And you have to be able to discern the difference between the two. Now, there are some differences in the Christian worldview that set the Bible apart from the New Age beliefs, the yoga beliefs I used to embrace back in 1970. First of all, and this is very important, God is not an internal, impersonal essence. God is an external and personal God. He is our Heavenly Father, not a level of consciousness that pervades the cosmos. Enlightenment, or in other words, being filled with the light of understanding, doesn't come through an internal awakening of a divine essence that every human being has, but quite the contrary, you are filled with the light of God's love and God's truth when the Holy Spirit enters into you from without. Because human beings are separate from God. But when you invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, and Ephesians three seventeen says, Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. The Messiah will come into your heart when you invite him to come and dwell within you. And at that moment, the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you. And you become one with God, not in the same way Far Eastern religions teach, in a very different way. But it's important to see that no one, I repeat, no one has ever had this true encounter, this real encounter with the true and living God and been detrimentally affected. Being born again brings soundness of mind, not insanity, not an awakening of dark occultic powers, but rather the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in your life. It's only beautiful. It's only good. It's only lovely. It's only healing. It brings wholeness. And there's no long preparation period necessary so that the encounter with God is not damaging. See, the gurus I studied under used to teach us that you had to prepare yourself for months, maybe years of deep disciplines. And you had to separate yourself completely and become totally involved in meditation and yoga in order to be ready for this Kundalini awakening or it could, it could be very damaging and dangerous. But I've seen people get saved that had no preparation period at all. In Christianity, that's not even relevant. God can save you no matter how deeply you've been involved in sin right up to the moment of salvation. I prayed for my cousin when he was high on heroin, cast the demons out of him. He became totally clear-headed. He told me, he said, I don't feel that heroin high anymore. And he said, I feel this power inside of me. I said, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was amazing, he never went through heroin withdrawals even though he'd been on two to $300 a day for years and never went through cold turkey because God healed him. He didn't have a preparation period for salvation. The blood of Jesus doesn't require that. Born again salvation doesn't require that. You come to Jesus and the miracle working savior works a miracle because of your faith in his precious name. All of that other stuff is completely erroneous. All right, I've got some more important questions for you. Is there such a thing as a kundalini spirit? Now that I've presented all of this to you, is there such a thing as a demon, a devil that is called a kundalini spirit? Yes and no. Yeah, I answered both ways. Yes and no. Why would I answer in such an indefinite, ambiguous way? Let me explain. First, the reason I said no, there is no biblical account where a quote-unquote kundalini spirit is referred to. That is a modern, humanly devised term. Very seldom in the Bible are spirits given individual designations or titles. They are usually referred to simply as unclean spirits. Why? Because anything that is separated from God is unclean. Anything that is ungodly, and contaminated by sin, or by satanic influence, is unclean. And so all those angels that followed Satan in his rebellion against God became unclean, just like the one they follow. And we're included in that, because prior to salvation, we are the unclean. The Bible terms us that way. So if something is not biblical, I don't embrace it. If there's no account in the Bible that identifies a demon as a quote-unquote kundalini spirit, then I'm not going to pick up that title for any demon and use it in reference to a demon. However, there is something hidden away in scripture that is extremely similar. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was directed by God to go to Macedonia which was in the northeastern part of the Greek peninsula. And after he arrived, the following event took place. I'm going, to, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling, This girl followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So there you have the biblical account of a spirit of divination that Paul cast out of a woman who had psychic powers. Now, what is divination? It's the practice of seeking the knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, divination is totally forbidden. It's the reason That passage of scripture explains that the Canaanites were driven out of the land of Canaan and it was given to the Israelites. Now, in the original Greek of that passage in the book of Acts, the word divination, when it was referred to as a spirit of divination, is the Greek word puthon. Puthon. That's P-U-T-H-O-N. Where did that word come from? It stemmed from Putho, which is the name for the region where Delphi, the place where the famous oracle was located, and the priestess Pythia, who was famed throughout the ancient world for divining the future and was consulted before all major undertakings. Greeks believed that the site was originally sacred, And according to the myth that they embraced, it belonged to Gaia, or Mother Earth, and was guarded by Gaia's serpent child, Python. Apollo killed Python, according to that story in Greek mythology, and founded his oracle there. So there you have the origin of the word that Paul used in identifying a specific demon. He called it a spirit of Puthon. And that comes from Pythia and how Apollo killed Python, Gaia's serpent child. It all connects together. So there is a spirit of Puthon. And the complete Jewish Bible actually translates it: a snake spirit that results in supernatural or psychic manifestations that are not of God. Now, the final and possibly most important question that I asked in the description of this episode, has this kundalini spirit, or what Paul called the spirit of Puthon, or the snake spirit, as the complete Jewish Bible calls it, has that invaded the church? Has the kundalini spirit, if you want to call it that, I don't call it that. But has this spirit of Kundalini, this snake spirit, this spirit of Puthan, has it invaded the church? Yes, I believe it has. First, let me say I am charismatic. I am Pentecostal. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in healing. I believe in casting out devils. I believe in having encounters with God that are very powerful and supernatural. I've experienced the glory of God in such a powerful manifestation. It's indescribable. I've been so overwhelmed. I had to lay flat on my face on the floor, overcome by the presence of God. I've been there, and I could go on and on and on. I am not a cessationist. I'm not one of those who say that all the gifts of the Spirit went out with the apostles. That's absurd. God forbid. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give gifts that would only last a century. But I have witnessed things in the charismatic movement I feel were just as bizarre and weird as what Michael Graham experienced in India and what Robbie Maharaj warned about. For instance, I preached many years ago during the height of the quote-unquote laughing movement in a church in North Carolina I went into this church getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning. There was over 500 people in there and they were hysterically cackling and laughing and falling out of their seats in the middle of an offering. Nothing was being said that was humorous. And later on in the service, things were spoken concerning the judgment of God and the cackling and the laughing continued. It made absolutely no sense. I felt such a weird, demonic spirit. I left that church and never went back. I knew that was not of God. I look at it this way. If a human being says something that is very serious, like if a human being was talking about the death of a relative, but then that human being begins to cackle and laugh hysterically, and the emotions don't match the words, people would say that person had a mental breakdown, or even they might go as far as to say that person's insane, because their words and their emotions don't match. if the Word of God elicits a response in a congregation of people that is opposite to the emotion of the word being spoken. If I speak about the judgments of God, if I speak about some serious subject or just some simple subject like giving a tithe or an offering to God and people react in a completely opposite way, that's spiritual insanity. I do believe that I have experienced holy laughter, but it was in a very sane way. And what I've seen in other meetings is not of God. I, I I met some people when I had a tent meeting up in Canada who came to my meeting many years ago. Again, this has been decades ago. And some of them they had these weird jerks and grunts that they would go through. Even if you were eating with them in a restaurant, they'd be jerking and making these guttural sounds. And they told me that it was uncontrollable. But if you can't control it, it's not God. First Corinthians 14, verses 32 and 33 says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. The complete Jewish Bible says, the prophet's spirits are under the prophet's control, for God is not a God of unruliness. No, I don't call it a kundalini spirit, but it is a demon, and it has invaded the church. And people that were sincere, that love God, that want a genuine supernatural experience, unfortunately come under the influence of demonic powers that that counterfeit the real experience of God and give false supernatural experiences. If you pray for di- discernment, you will recognize the difference between the two. There are instances in the Bible where people quaked in the presence of God. That is not unbiblical. But some of what I've seen is totally opposite to what I feel is Biblical. There certainly is a joy that is unspeakable, but some of what I've seen in the name of holy laughter is not what God gives. So yes, I do believe this spirit has invaded the church. And I do believe we need to pray and ask God to cleanse us of any kind of foreign or alien influence of a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. Because only when we're filled with the true Holy Spirit can we be effective in this world.
0: Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global Internet family.